Welcome back to the What is Life Dude podcast. What, 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 what is Life Dude? My name's Sarah. I'm Eric, and I'm the annoying one. We're joining you slightly before New Year's today, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so, hope everyone's having a great holiday season. Hope everyone has a safe and happy New Year's Eve. Enjoys their festivities. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all. That was episode seven. We're right going there. on hiatus. No, we're not. We went on a hiatus for a year. <laughs> it wasn't a year. Right. It's like six months. Mm-hmm. So the topic of today's video is going to be, uh, as promised. Video? My, no, video. I, yeah, I'm so a I didn't YouTuber. Mean, I didn't mean to call you out, but it sounded like it was going to be a joke. And oh, then you no. kept going with Sorry. a straight face. The topic so I, of today's podcast episode is ayahuasca. Part two. Part two. If you missed last episode, I talked a little bit about my intentions for uh, doing ayahuasca, if you want to hear about that. And today, rather than doing a play-by-play of all four ceremonies that I did, uh, I think I want to just limit it to kind of a discussion of the, like a broader discussion of the lessons, the important lessons I learned, Mm. and how it's going to change my life and in turn Eric's life moving forward. And in turn... Melvin's life. Oh yeah, right. Uh, on the topic of dogs, we're currently we were dog sitting one of my friend's dogs uh, while he was away for Christmas, and then my other friend was like, "Hey, can you watch our dog from this day to this day?" And I was like, "Sure." So the first dog is going to leave on the same day we get the second dog. Sure enough, the dates were wrong, and now they overlap for two days, so we have three dogs in the house. Yep, it's and been it's been a wild ride. It's been stressful. Mm-hmm. They all have vastly different personalities, too. So different. The first dog that we're, we were watching, Mabel, is just a little sweetheart, very timid and lazy and sweet and cuddly. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second dog we have is Zeke, tiny little French bulldog, so feisty. Never stops. Not particularly well-behaved. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, very much an instigator. And then our dog, Melvin... Uh, he's a cr- like a, a cross between the way, both. Right. The way I describe Melvin is just like the jack of all trades in terms of personality. Yeah. He just becomes whoever the other dog needs him to be. He can be whatever, he can be whatever you want, baby. <laughs> yes. Whatever you want him to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's been a little. Uh, well, Sarah and I, we've done this before, but we moved our mattress from the bedroom into the living room, mm-hmm. so we could just lounge onto the floor. Onto the floor. Yeah. And just like in front of the TV so we could play video games and then just go right to sleep. So we wanted to do that last night and then we did it and all three dogs were just... Crawled all over us. It's been... Our our white sheets are so, so dirty. Mm -hmm. So dirty. Plus it snowed, so the dogs have been playing outside in the snow and getting mud and and moisture all over them. Usually... it everywhere. Usually when they come inside, we could just wipe their little paws off and they could be on their merry way. Mm -hmm. But since the bed is right there by the door... (laughs) Before we can get to their paws, they're on the bed covering it in dirt. Yeah. So Real special. Our white sheets are now kind of brown. Yeah. Thank God for laundry sauce. Thank God. All right, baby. So where do you want to start? 
Uh, I also want to say, since we're kind of... Okay, so the reason I didn't want to do a play-by-play of all of my uh, ceremonies is because I'm going to do that on my channel. And I'm considering... Uh, Eric will help me decide if whether I should um, just take the audio from those videos and upload them as a future podcast episode for anyone who does want to hear all the details but doesn't necessarily want to leave a YouTube browser open. Mm -hmm. So that may happen. But um, I didn't want to do it again for the podcast. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So we're going to try to do it in a just in a different through a different lens. Right. Kind of. And I will say when we were gearing up to um, come down into the basement in our studio and film this episode, I was feeling some hesitation. Hesitancy? Is that a word? Hesiticity. I'm not particularly um, pumped to talk about it. Not because it wasn't a very enlightening and positive experience, but because I almost feel like I haven't fully... um, I haven't integrated what I'd like to yet. Mm-hmm. from the the experience and i feel like i'm in this process of changing and it's a little uncomfortable yeah you can attest to that i've been i've been how have i been since i've been back i've been back uh an uh, oh a week you've at been this point. you've been uh you keep saying that nothing's changed and it did nothing for you well i don't i don't think that I know you don't think that. But here's the thing. But that's what you've been saying. I am. Um, so what I was telling Eric is I'm used to in the group, in a group of people, I'm used to feeling like the weird one. <laughs> like I have all of these fringe beliefs. I'm very into spirituality. And um, I mean, a lot of people are as well, but in our circle, not so much. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And when I was at Rhythmia, there, my cohort was 94, 96 people, I believe. And it was just so, so interesting to be immersed in this uh, community of people who love all the things that I love. And some of them are even a little like more like spiritual and quote unquote woo woo. Out there. I don't mean to use the term woo woo as like a derogatory term. That's how I describe myself yeah. um, to kind of poke fun at the way that I am. But um, but you there's no need to do right. So I feel like a lot of I don't know. I just feel like a lot of the other people there were a lot more able to surrender to the process, and I dealt with fear for much of the trip. And so I think that um, I don't know. Maybe it limited what I was able to glean from the experience. But I I don't mean to say that nothing has changed and I didn't learn anything. I learned a lot, but it's almost like, um, like there's a bottleneck, you know, like it's almost like, uh, I keep getting this image of, um, what's it called where like the sand, there's a word for it. The sand that helps you time stuff. Oh, uh, an hourglass. Yeah. An hourglass. And all of that information is just piled up in my brain. And it's, there's only so much, that can like trickle into my everyday experience at a given moment. Yeah. So that's what it feels like is that my brain is exploding with all of this stuff that I need to implement, but the body, the physical body can, and your physical reality can only change so quickly. So that's why I'm feeling like a little bit of discomfort because I'm like, Oh, I have all this stuff and I, uh, yeah, it feels a little weird, but you want to get it moving. Yeah. And explained. Yeah. 
fruit come to fruition. Yeah. <laughs> well, they say it takes three weeks for it to fully. Well, longer. Longer. Yeah. They did warn us, like, after a couple of weeks, you may feel a little, like, you may, they warned us, you know, that we'd be maybe struggling a little bit to integrate because it's such an immersive experience. I went to Rhythmia, for those who didn't listen to the um, previous episode, I went to Rhythmia Life Advancement Center in Costa Rica, and it's like an entire, like, it's an all-inclusive sort of thing. You stay on the premises, they feed you, they have a series of classes and activities. Um, I was told to go to all of them for the best experience and to have the best chances at um, getting the most benefit from from the experience. And there are four plant medicine ceremonies included um, from Monday through Thursday night. Um, And like, yeah, so you just are fully immersed in this world that's so different from your day-to-day life. And they were like, yeah, you're going to be coming off of a high when you leave here. And it's going to be, it might be difficult to reintegrate, to be around family who doesn't really understand what you're going through and friends and go back to your nine to five, et cetera, et cetera. Um, It's just like a, it's like an elevated version of the post-vacation blues. Yeah, which I get already. Yeah. So it's hard to to differentiate what what, what is what. Yeah. So how do you want to approach talking about this? Talking about it? (sighs) So, I mean, I'll get, I guess let's give a little bit of um, a rundown of how my experiences went. Okay. They say there's four kinds of uh, experiences you can have on ayahuasca. There's like bodily sensations, um, all sorts, tingling, like numbness, you can sweat, you can cry, people laughing hysterically, um, a lot of people throw up. It's pretty expected. Um, and diarrhea. Is the diarrhea and vomiting, is that is that physiological or mm-hmm. psychological? Well, this this medicine is so steeped in tradition and spiritual, spiritual tradition, right? So it's physiological, but um, we are kind of instructed or we're kind of told that those things are purges that are, they, they carry meaning, right? So they instruct us, you know, if you vomit, to ask what it is mm-hmm. that's leaving your body. And it does feel very cathartic. Like it doesn't feel like, I, a lot of people have like phobia of, of vomiting, which I didn't. So I wasn't really worried about that going in. I was afraid of pooping myself, but I didn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> you safely and securely made it to a restroom. Right. So I, I did, it does feel really nice to get rid of that and it does actually feel when you're in that state of mind that you are um, offloading some toxicity some spiritual and emotional toxicity yeah um what was your question (laughs) oh yeah so i was talking about the four different experiences you can have so those bodily uh sensations then you can get what's called a pinta and that's any sort of visual uh like a hallucination or sometimes you're not even getting hallucinations so much as you're just seeing images flashed as if on a screen in front of your face. I had a lot of experiences where I got vivid imagery, but um, it was almost like downloaded into my brain as if it was a memory. So it wasn't like it was happening directly in front of me. 
but it was something that I just saw. It was just there. It's very hard to explain. A lot of the things that I experienced are just, I just knew right away after the first, the first night that you just, there's no words that can describe the experience. Yeah. Yeah. So visual things, those are pintas. Um, the third kind is a consulta, a, a consult, a celestial consult, where um, a lot of people will see Mother Ayahuasca. They kind of personify her, mm-hmm. right? Um, they'll see her in various forms or they'll just hear her and she'll answer questions for you. She'll give you clarity on, on topics. I didn't outright see her, but the enti- all on all f- well, three out of the four nights because I'll talk about the fourth night in a second. All th- three of those nights, I had the experience that I would just ask something in my mind. And as I was asking it, the question would be answered. Like I'd immediately know the meaning of something. Um, that happened most strongly on the first night. First night was by far my most profound experience. Um, and I never really got back to that point again. And each of my nights was vastly different. So yeah, cons- a consult, and then the fourth kind is a nada, and that's when you take the medicine and you don't feel anything outright, and quite often you fall asleep and you wake up, and the ceremony is over, which I believe we described or explained in the last episode that the shamans say that when you have a nada, this and this is actually something that uh, people who study like shamans, shamanism, like in the Amazon. They strive to get to the point where they can have not as regularly because it's this is when you are healing your lineage and past lives. And it's an experience for which you can't really be awake because it would tear you apart. <laughs> so that's what happened to me on the fourth night. I just um, I had some trouble keeping the medicine down and I, I slept for most of the night. Yeah. Right. I'm not going to have to say anything. Yeah, well, I want you to. That's why I'm like leaving spaces. (laughs) Uh, Well, okay, so we can do like, can we do like a breakdown of the four nights, but not in that much detail? Sure. Just like what you... Learned? Yeah. So, well, let's start from my perspective. The first night, uh, you texted me at like 1.30 a.m. Yeah, 2.30 a.m. my time because I was an hour ahead of him. And you said you were heading down to the ceremony at 4.15 p.m. the prior evening. Yeah. And you texted me hours and hours later and you said, quote, holy fuck, (laughs) I love you so much. (laughs) And I said, I'm so glad you're alive. (laughs) I didn't say that. I thought that. Right. I just didn't know when I would hear from you or what you'd be like. I had no idea. Right. So why'd you say, holy fuck? So that, that first night was intense. And it really, it, I really, this is the night that is the hardest to explain, I think. And I think it happened that way for a reason, because I had gone into the experience with so many expectations and I had done such an extensive amount of research, which I later, like, mm, she called me out on it. Ma Ayahuasca called me out on it. Basically, the first experience, she wanted me to know that I couldn't control anything, that all of my researching is um, not useful. And this is because you always try to prepare yourself for everything, and you want to know everything about everything. 
so right. you can do it in the best and safest way possible. Yeah, I'm basically always trying to avoid discomfort. And I think that knowing everything about something will allow me to be safer. And sometimes that's true. But most often I'm just typing, like I'm making it harder on myself. I'm manufacturing anxiety where there doesn't need to be anxiety. And um, it's funny because my entire life I've always known, and I've talked about it a lot in therapy, that I have this identity as like, the smart person and I find it hard to value myself for other things that are good about me. Like I've, I just, I just have to always be smart and learning and excelling academically. And I judge myself mercilessly when I'm not. And I'm like, well, how come I never, cause I remember being a child and loving art and music and creating things so much And I kept trying to remember, like, when did I stop doing that? When did I adopt this personality or or adopt adopt this identity of being a smart person? Where did that come from? Because neither of my parents were ever particularly hands-on with my education. They weren't like helicopter parents. You know, they didn't check my homework. They never implicitly told me there were any standards like academic standards for me obviously they were happy like I got into a good college and everything but I just always wanted to know where that came from because to me when I developed that identity and I look back it felt like that's when my identity as an artist died and I've like been mourning that my entire life and trying to get that back and like it became clear here during this ceremony I'm trying to avoid saying during my this trip because I don't like to... It is a psychedelic experience, but it feels like a little irreverent to call it just like a trip because there's just so much sacredness to the experience. Anyway, yeah. So I realized that the smart girl thing wasn't so much about like pleasing other people as much as it was about keeping myself safe and trying to anticipate like every danger in this world that I at some point started to see as very dangerous. Yeah. And I still feel that way. Like things feel dangerous to me wherever I go. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, it's just, it's hard cause I've, I've heard it and I don't, I, I don't feel like I have anything like amazing to add. Right. I, that's why I feel like I'm taking I'm taking this role of moderator. Yeah. Oh, but ask ask question. What else did I tell you that night? What other things stuck out to you? Well, it's hard to say without going into like the specifics of what and you, you told can go me. Go into certain specifics. Go ahead. Okay, so you said you heard the music that was playing, and oh, you yeah. kept hearing my voice singing harmonies in it. Right. You told me this one shaman who was or a helper who was walking around. Uh, his face kept changing into my face when I was sick, when I was younger. Yeah. We didn't know each other then, but right. you've seen photos of me when I was sick. Mm-hmm. Um, and your dad too. Yes. Right? Um, <clears throat> you said you saw Melvin in a past life. Yes. As your spirit baby. <laughs> Those are a few things. Yeah. I don't want to get too much into that because, okay, well, okay. So here's the thing. Going into it, I said, what can I remind myself of or think of when I'm feeling unsafe that might make me feel a little grounded? So I said, I'll think of Melvin. I'll think of Eric. 
anytime I'm feeling unsafe. Because I'd heard when people were talking about other psychedelic experiences that you can um, you can find a way to ground yourself when you're feeling unsafe, right? Your experience is very influenced by the music and the ambiance and the energy and that the fact that you're feeling safe around the people with you. And so I thought that it would be similar here. I don't find that to be, I, I don't, I didn't find that to be true. I kind of felt on all of the nights that she was just going to show me whatever the fuck she wanted. And my job was to just find a way to relax into it. Otherwise I'd get completely like pummeled by it. So I didn't really, so anytime I kind of felt like a little anxious, I'd think about you. And then I think that's when I was seeing like all of these interesting things. And like I was hearing your voice the music is such a huge part of the experience because the way that I felt was that each song, so they had music playing everywhere in the room. And I, the first night happened to be on a mattress underneath one of the speakers. So it was very present, like physically, I could feel it like vibrating in me and I could hear it, but it felt as if, for each song, there was a specific journey I was going on. And I didn't know that. Like, it felt like I wasn't fully aware of time. But when the song stopped and there was a, a pause between the, the um, between songs, it felt like that lesson was getting wrapped up. And I would, like, pop up and I would write something in my journal, like the, the signature of that song experience. And then I'd go back and get wrapped up in the experience again. So throughout all the songs, the voice felt like it was all human voices at the same time. Like I would hear the voice and any person I thought of, I could hear them singing the music. So I could, I could just so distinctly hear your voice. And then at the very end, I heard mine, which was interesting <laughs> because the, I, I think the lesson there I realized is that I mean, music is so universal. You don't need to be a music theorist to understand and appreciate music or to create it. Yeah. And I have talked about this before on the podcast, I think, but like how much I love music and I've always loved it since I was like a small child, but just judge myself and think I need to, I don't know achieve a certain level of proficiency before I can like be worthy of creating it. And I think the experience of like hearing myself in that music and really feeling like music is this, um, it's this thing that belongs to everyone, right? Like you can listen to music from a different, in a different language and download the, the emotion behind it and the intention behind it. So, Sometimes, quite often. Well, because I, I just, I, I'm, I'm not trying to just disagree with you for no reason. Mm. But like, I don't know. We, we've been listening to Dimelo by uh, Enrique Iglesias. Yeah. Which is, uh, do you know? Mm -hmm. Do you know what it feels like? And apparently, the lyrics are totally different mm -hmm. in the Spanish version, and I right. would have no idea. Right. But I think the emotion, the underlying emotion, is the same, mm. and the actual the song, the way it's arranged, kind of, hmm. What do you get from that? 
Like, what do you get from that song? Because to me, there's like a desperacy to it, a desperation to the song. Yeah. It's about like love being this like all-consuming thing. I guess that's true because in both versions, it's desperate in a different Mm -hmm. sense. I get that. It's like, tell me, tell me, tell me. And I also realized that I said a few seconds ago, I said, I'm not just trying to say this for no reason. Not, I'm not doing it just to disagree with you, right. which I realized is devil's advocate. Mm-hmm. And I could have used that phrase. Right. That's what I meant. Yeah. You no, know, I, I get it. Do you, do you think everyone has that experience with music? Everyone that I talked to, they were like, holy shit, this music is powerful. Okay. Um, I wonder what it would have been like if they, if it was a totally different style of music. Like if they yeah. just played like, what if they just played like the top 40 yeah. With, with without the lyrics. Just right. like the, just pop music. Well, they changed genres each night, right? The first night it was it was like very pop from what I remember. It was like spiritually minded popular music. There were some I don't know. But the third night they had live music, which I told you about, and yeah. it was like actually fucking like mind blowing that experience of just hearing this one singer. I think she had a helper with her, like doing some drums. And like one little stringed instrument, just like dancing around the altar with the the candle flickering. It was like, I mean, the entire experience was otherworldly is is a word I'd use to describe being on ayahuasca. It does not feel like it's happening in this time or place or dimension. It feels like loving someone who's in a rush to throw you. No, Oh, um, my God. (laughs) It feels like I love it someone. Uh, It feels like. Yeah, it feels like another dimension. And it it feels like everything that's ever happened in all of your lives, past, present, and future, are happening on top of each other. And that you know the answer to every question as it occurs to you because the 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 events that would yield that answer have already happened. Does it make sense? <laughs> it it makes sense to a a degree. Yeah. So as someone who hasn't experienced it, when people say ayahuasca is like doing ten years of therapy in one night, I was like, sure, whatever. I've done ten years of therapy. Yeah. Um, it is true. Not in the sense that it fixes you, but all of the insights. So it's like I can come up against the same issue in multiple sessions with my therapist. And I just like can't get to the bottom of it. I'm like, where did this come from? Where did this come from? Like I said, my obsessive studying and all of that. And like on ayahuasca, you just ask the question and you know immediately. And there's no like, is that true? It's, it's just, just like, you, oh, you yeah, feel that it's that's true. why. That's why it, this is true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you don't, you've told me you don't think, <clears throat> you don't have to like think or unpack any of these things in the moment. They're no. just... It's just in a flash, they're there. Yes. They're downloaded into your brain and your soul. And it comes from everywhere. It doesn't, like, the answer is every. So it also made me realize that, you know how sometimes we experience these synchronicities? So we'll, um, maybe you'll, like, hear a radio ad, and then a friend will mention something to you about the same thing that was discussed on the radio, and then um, you'll be scrolling through Instagram stories and you'll see the same thing yeah. just on randomly. You're like, oh, I saw this three times. Let's look into it. And then it's like ends up being something important in your life. Mm-hmm. It 
made me realize that those things are happening everywhere all the time, but our openness to them is not, uh, doesn't allow, it, it, it shifts. So we aren't always letting in all those synchronicities. Yeah. So I saw that everything's a synchronicity and uh, what changes is just our ability to, to receive them. Right. And so when I say like, you can get the answer to a given question from anything, sometimes I would ask a question and I'd see something answering it. Sometimes I'd ask a question and the lyrics would give me the answer. Mm. Like, like literally the lyrics to the song would be like, this is the answer. Was it English? Mm-hmm. And some of them. Okay. Um, but also I understand Spanish. So I understood all the Spanish music. So it's hard for me to know what was what. What language it was in. I do feel like it kind of dissolved like language barriers. So yeah. I think if you are multilingual, like you don't, I, I don't know. The way I experienced it was beyond language um so yeah. your first night <laughs> evolved slash devolved from mm. it was a it was like a happy it was a more positive experience at first and then Ooh. it got scarier right or did it flip so i would describe it that way i had a bunch of hallucinations that's how it started i had hallucinations on three of the four nights and i don't remember I can't remember any of them. I just know they happened and they were very vivid and not scary. Like I just, they were nice. And then I realized I was like, I, was, I, don't know, I was doing all this past life stuff and I was going through phases of crying and laughing, but I wasn't, it wasn't bad. Like it wasn't uncomfortable crying. Like all the things that are uncomfortable about crying IRL, mm. like your nose gets stuffed and your ears start to like pop and stuff, you know? And it's hard to breathe. Like, none of that felt true. It just felt like it was flowing out of me. So I was just going back and forth between laughing hysterically and crying. And I was like, well, that's, that's because they're the same thing. Like, loving intensely is the same as losing. Because nothing belongs to you in this experience. You're not leaving with any of it. And... If you're afraid of loss, then you're never going to fully commit to love, which is how I operate, have operated, right? Like I'm very much um, kind of a flighty person. I am that way with life and jobs and relationships. The life, I mean, like the life part is the scariest because I realized like ever since I knew that like killing yourself is an option, I've always kind of... Um, I've entertained that thought, right? I'm like, well, I can always just kill myself. <laughs> and so that's that's because I have those thoughts not necessarily when things are particularly painful, but when things are just kind of not great. And I'm like, how can I just live the rest of my life like that? So it's not like when my dad died, it was really sad and difficult. I didn't feel suicidal when I my dad died or when I like went through my last breakup or it's always just like how mundane and like boring life feels sometimes. That's when I'm like, I can't do this forever. And then I'm like, I could always kill myself. And then I keep living. Right. And I'm like that with everything. I'm like that. I'm like, well, when relationships aren't new anymore... I'm like, mm, I can just like 
go find another relationship and get that feeling again, serially, like for the rest of my life. Yeah. Job, like, I can just start over. I can just delete my YouTube. I can just move out of this house. I can sell all my stuff. That's how I am. And so... Makes me feel very comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> so I, when I was having this experience where literally I couldn't tell when I was crying or laughing or what, like the, like the, there was no boundary between the two. I was like, I need to commit to things. I need to be, I need to say, at least for this period of time, I'm not going to entertain the notion of dying or running away. Right? Yeah. So yeah, that was, that was most, that was the TLDR of the first part of that first day, first night. And then it did switch to that darker place. So even though I was like sobbing a lot during the first half, I would describe it as a positive. I guess the most um, enlightening part of my entire trip, actually, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Then what happened? You describe what happened. Me describe what happened? Uh, (laughs) You want me to describe what happened to you? Mm -hmm. Actually, let's keep talking about this because it's so fun and it has to do with you. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> Me? So mm-hmm. I just, I kept trying and I did this on all three nights and sometimes it worked and sometimes times it didn't. I kept trying to like bring you into it because I like wanted more insight about our relationship and stuff. So things shift so quickly and it got to the point during the latter half where I could, so, okay, you're supposed to do ayahuasca in the dark because you see more visuals that way. And it's interesting when they turn on the light or anytime I went up and got, got up to go to the bathroom and they had a little salt lamp in there, I became so, I felt like I was sober. Mm. So it's something about being in the dark and experiencing the music makes it very strong. Okay. So, um, what was I talking about? Oh, thing. So I got to a point in the la- the latter half where I couldn't like open my eyes and, the images would go away. I couldn't make myself feel sober again. So everything that I was seeing with my eyes open was becoming part of the journey. And I kept seeing you, like people would turn into other people. It was actually understood that everyone is everyone. <laughs> Cause like I would see people and their faces would shift into faces I knew and also into blank faces. And so what I understood is what a lot of spiritual people say that we're all connected and that everyone's just playing a role so that we can experience contrast and experience everything from different points of view, right? It's like um, the universe learning about itself by, you know, transporting itself into the mind of all of these different humans and trees and animals and and plants because everything has consciousness. But people kept turning into you. And I was in this, like, dark, scary room that was understood to be like a place where people were dying like a hospital but I kept seeing you like show up for like a split second to do something fucking stupid (laughs) and I'd be like well that's so interesting like what like you know your little umbrella dance my little umbrella Mm -hmm. dance yeah or just like hey like showing up and then you disappear so it'd be like this moment of of light in an otherwise very scary moment and I was like well that's interesting like this is all kind of a game can i just say when sarah t- 
texted me that first night afterwards. Hmm. I was like, what happened? What did you see? Like, what did you learn? I knew that she was not, I knew that she was still herself Hmm. because she texted me saying, well, here, first, here are the things that I, that, that pertained to you and that were about you. Cause I know you want to hear those first. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yes, <laughs> give me that. Yeah. I thought that was funny. Right. And I think it was also understood by the fact that you were showing up everywhere is that we make dying to be this permanent, like tragic thing. And it does feel that way. And it's okay for it to feel that way. That's normal. That's the human experience. But as far as like soulmates go, as far as souls go, the human experience is fun. Like souls don't want to stay souls. They want to be here. This is where it's interesting. This is like the leading edge, as they'd say. And like souls like to play with each other and hide. And it's fun for them to to go through all the work to find each other. You know what I mean? Whereas we're like, oh, I'm so glad I found you in this lifetime. Don't fucking leave. Souls are like, it's like a cosmic game of hide and seek. There is no leaving. Like, find me in our next life. Yeah. It'll be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Can we, mm, can we go on that topic for kind of a second? Yeah. I also, I'm going to look at this too, because I think I wrote something about this. Okay. Sarah and I watched a movie a few months ago called Defending Your Life. Uh, which my mom loves. It's Albert Brooks and Meryl Streep. And I don't, I don't know how popular or famous or how well it did when it came out in the 90s, but my mom showed it to me when I was a child and I've kind of loved it ever since. So I made Sarah watch it. I forced her to watch it mm-hmm. uh, a few months ago. And it's basically about Albert Brooks, the main character, dies at the very beginning of the movie and he goes to like this intermediate uh, holding area kind of where these spiritual cosmic lawyers, they look at everything that happened in your life and everything you've done, and they basically decide if your soul moves on to the next plane of existence or if it goes back and tries again. So he meets he meets Meryl Streep in this holding area, and he basically learns that her life, she was an amazing person, and she's obviously moving on. And he was kind of a shithead, mm-hmm. and he's not sure if... Uh, if he's moving on. Or if he has to do it again. Right. Uh, if he has to go back to Earth and give it another whirl. Mm. But, you know, like I said, I love the movie, but it is kind of a rom-com mm-hmm. placed in this fantasy life, this fantasy plane of existence, which is fun and all. But as we were watching it, as I was rewatching it for like the fifth time or whatever in my life, I was thinking, I'm like, I, I just kind of wish it wasn't a rom-com also. Because the idea of your soul, oh, does it move on? Does it go back to earth? Like, what does your soul do next right. after this version of you on earth dies? Mm. That's such a cool concept to me. And I wish it it wasn't about romance and it was about that and that right. only. Because mm-hmm. that could be kind of what actually happens. Yeah. Or it could be some variation of that. Mm. So what we were talking about reminded me of that. So I wanted to throw that in there. But you have your notebook out now, so what are you mm-hmm. looking at? Mm-hmm. Oh, so here's something. It's so interesting because I felt very out of it during in the middle of the songs because it's so immersive, like I said. It's like you're on a journey. 
And then on the first night, I was glued to my notebook. I thought it would be the same every night. It was only the first night. I was just writing. And and when the song ended, I popped up. I would write this thing. It was almost like I wasn't even in control of what I was writing. It was like I was channeling a message from someone else. So here's one. Th- this is when I. This is not what I was looking about. So this is not what I was looking for. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. But um, this is what I came to. So I wrote down. Um, Everything's fleeting, but the next thing will be so beautiful it doesn't matter. Loss isn't real because time isn't real. So I realized that I was seeing like really beautiful things and I'd be like, oh, I want to stay here. I want to stay here. And she was like, but if you stay, you can't get the next thing, which is better or equally as good. And so then you get it but you're so worried about what you lost that you're not experiencing what's happening here, which is very human, isn't it? That's kind of what always happens. Yeah. (laughs) And then what I was looking for is this one. It was um, existing is the same as not existing. They both only happen in the mind. And this came to me because (laughs) I was asking questions and um, I was thinking, like, what's the difference between a thought form and something that physically incarnates in this world, right? Yeah. A thought form can have almost as much uh, control over you as something physical, right? So it's like the anticipation of painful experiences is sometimes worse than them ever coming to fruition, right? And it just happens in your mind. You just described, like, the basis of anxiety. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Right, because it controls you like something physically mm-hmm. ma- make uh, physically like resisting you, right? Or not resisting you. You know what I'm trying to say? Yes. What's the, what's the word I'm looking for? Holding you and and trapping you. Yeah. Um, but it's only happening in your mind. Mm-hmm. It's not crazy that we can't like compartmentalize and like mm-hmm. say, okay, that's the anxious part of my brain. Don't listen to it. It just you consumes can, you all. You can recognize it. That's that's like that's the start. The point of mindfulness, but it does take the body, the nervous system, some time to catch up, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You haven't read me anything yet uh, of what you what you wrote down. You haven't looked at it. No, I, I figured you would have looked at it. You figured I would have picked up your your diary and read it. Mm-hmm. No. Here's another thing I like, <laughs> which I'm trying to remember the context, but. Um, the mind is for making art only. Everything beyond art just is. So it's like, think about how we're like, we need to make, we need to set aside time. I can't find time to be creative. I can't find time to make music. I can't find time. Because we're using all of our brain power trying to like, we're essentially inventing problems for ourselves. Obviously, there are real world issues. But I, w- I live in my mind so much. I make myself anxious i make myself so anxious that when i have time i just want to lie on the couch and be anxious instead of going into my room that has instruments in it and making something so she was like your mind is literally not for being neurotic and solving these problems your mind is for making art so fucking do it well the funny part about that to me is Mm. I had planned when Sarah left, like, okay, I've I've all these new songs to work on and all this stuff. Like, I'm gonna do it because I I don't have Sarah to hang out with, so I just have free time, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, 
So I'm going to go in the basement and I'm just going to make stuff all the time. And I just felt so unhappy that Sarah wasn't around that I didn't yeah. want to do anything. And I just sat on the couch mm-hmm. or I felt anxious that like Melvin was doing something like anything. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, he's not napping. What right. is he looking at? Right. I can't focus. Mm-hmm. I can't go downstairs. Yeah. And the entire time we were gone, I got basically nothing done. <laughs> the the one night, the one night I tried to record vocals for a new song was the night we watched. I watched Zeke, mm. and he was down here just like making noise and sniffing things, and I'm like, I was so distracted, mm-hmm. and it was awful. So right. it's funny how you were having that experience while I was having my experience. Yes, and they were the same. But we blame other things for the reasons we can't make stuff and have the lives we want. And it's just in that in my case, it was just me being just caring too much about things that didn't matter, right? Or over which we have no control. Yeah, that's a better way to put it. Right. Like, you're not going to be there anyway. Mm. If I'm sad and sit on the couch, you're still not going to be there. Yeah. Or, like, think of all the things we stress out about that we can't control. Like, how much does it serve us to be angry that we're paying taxes? (laughs) Which, yeah, pisses me off. (laughs) But, um... I can't do anything about it. May as well make peace with it. May as well even find approval for it. Like find a way to say, wow, it's pretty fucking cool that I have enough money to pay taxes and buy my own health insurance and all of that. But what we do is use our minds to essentially what we do is instead of making art out of like into beautiful things, we turn our, our, obsessive thought we make art out of our obsessive thoughts like we embellish them it's like we make a a mural in our minds that makes the the worry bigger and more vibrant mm-hmm. than it is yeah mm-hmm. so do you want to wrap this episode up and do a part three next week and keep going or do you want to keep going now I don't know. What do you you think? What do you think? See Um, what I mean? Like, I think part of the reason why I was hesitant to, why I wasn't like super excited to talk about it is because it's not like a neat thing. It's not like um, a neat as in self-contained. It's like I downloaded so much just on the first night. Like if I had just come home after the first night, fine. That would have, yeah, there's a lot. So I'm just going in all of these different directions. I don't have a clean clean outline as to how to traverse all of all of the experience. Well, I think maybe next week we should do a part three on this. But instead of saying like, oh, how was your trip? What was it like? What did you learn? Mm-hmm. Reflect on it having been two weeks removed at that point, basically. You know? Mm-hmm. And just see how everything's changed in your mind and I'm sure new things will come up Mm -hmm. and eventually I'll talk again on the podcast (laughs) is there something else in the journal you want to read there's just a lot it's fucking weird read another one what read another one (laughs) (laughs) Uh, here's, here's a good one to end on it says let love make you more stupid okay I think it's just all about I just kept getting reinforced that playfulness is really important. Yeah. And I'm not a natural, I mean, I am a playful person, but I think I identify more with my like dark, uh, introspective side. I don't know why, but really 
the most likable people are the funniest people. Do you know what I mean? Well, it depends on how well you know them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're funny, but you're fucking annoying, so... <laughs> All right, thanks for listening to this week's episode. I love There'll you. never be another one. <laughs> I love you, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, do you want to talk about uh, your mantra that you discovered? I don't know how to explain it. Okay, we don't have to talk about yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I put you on the spot. But on the topic of love making you stupider and... My entire thing, my entire experience was about like dismantling this thinking mind, this studying mind, which I don't think is universal um, prescription. I think it's for me. Some people might be the opposite. Some people might be impulsive as fuck and it gets them into trouble. I'm the opposite. I overthink things in, I overthink myself into paralysis. Mm. And then I'm like, why isn't my life changing? Why do I feel terrible? Why am I afraid of everything? Oh, it's because you require all these conditions to um, take any sort of action. Mm-hmm. So I was just, the entire point is like dismantling basically all of my identity. Like, no, you're not this person who um, studies obsessively anymore. Go do shit. Go be stupider. Go be more playful. Go expect uh, a little less of all of your endeavors. So that's why I bought video games. <laughs> <laughs> because I was thinking of how children are so happy. Yeah. And even though I would say I had an emotionally challenging childhood, I was still I still remember myself as being happier then, things being simpler then, less burdensome then. Yep. And I loved video games so much as a child. I'm like, "Well, why could I enjoy video games as a child and not now?" It's the same. It's because when I was a child, I didn't tell myself there were other things I needed to be doing. And when it, when you think about quote-unquote wasting time with video games or television it's certainly possible but like i mentioned earlier i spent a lot of time just lying on the couch being anxious i may as well be playing a video game when i'm not accomplishing anything right right? like i may as well be doing something fun and like also video games are a thing that you know millennials are all like how can i monetize every single one of my hobbies and interests (laughs) There's no way I'm on it. Should we monetize uh, playing video games? Should I start streaming on we Twitch? We tried. Yeah, no. No, we didn't. We did like occasional videos. We did two video videos and no yeah. one watched them. Wow. What a fucking downer. What? <laughs> um, just true. Yeah, no. But what I'm saying is like, it's just a thing that you do for fun. And I think everyone should have one of those outlets. If you're just trying to forge ahead, I don't like the Gary V thing, like mm-hmm. just hustle, just work hard. He he always, do you listen to Gary V ever? No, I've, I have a little bit. I mean, I think he's great. However, his entire shtick is from the age of when I was from, he's like, I spent like over a decade or however long doing nothing. I ate shit for that time. I like didn't leave my house. I, you I don't know his exact story, but the point is that he said he just buried himself into work for years and years of his life, lived super frugally, didn't go out on weekends, didn't prioritize friendships. Um, And that's what he says is the reason for his success. I don't necessarily (laughs) understand that as someone who the work I'm trying to do, Mm. right, as someone with... I technically have a company, a freelance music company. Yeah. Like I need clients to do that. And it's such a, it's such like a weird 
niche yeah. of like people who need a theme song right. or people who somehow recorded an album and need it to be mixed and mastered. Yeah. Right? Because usually you just do it. If you got it recorded, you already have someone to do it, kind of. Yes. So it's like, I can't just bury myself in work. I have nothing to, like, I have to, like, find people to do work for. And I know that's part of it, but can you just bury yourself in I that think, for 10 years? I think Gary Vee, if you listen to his advice to people, mm-hmm. is to be massively active on social media. He would be telling you to get into people's DMs. Yeah. Like, Hey, I do this. Do you need it? Which I've done, right? He'd be telling you to keep going. Yeah. Anytime people are like, I'm getting slow uh, results. He's like, how long have you been doing it? Yeah. Keep fucking going. That's his thing. Just like- I love the Jets. Spam the shit out of potential clients, basically. Yeah. Okay, I guess I'll keep doing that. Certainly works for some people. Well, hopefully some people listening to this podcast episode will have gotten DM from me saying, hey, I, I see you're into this other spiritual podcast. Check out ours. Ours is not really a spiritual podcast. I know, but it... This it, is a variety show. Yeah, but like, it's not a comedy show where you can't just like send it to someone and be like, you'll probably like this. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> like, I listen to a podcast about Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. And I don't like Dungeons and Dragons. I like comedy. Yeah. So, it's funny. I don't know. You know what ayahuasca makes me want to do? Shrooms? Quit social media. <laughs> Right. I'm just like, do I really need to subject myself to other people's opinions? No. <laughs> yeah. So that's where I'm at. Mm-hmm. I'm getting harassed by this. Uh, <laughs> I was going to bring it up. but I'm getting harassed by, so, uh, I guess he's a YouTuber. Mm-hmm. He's been DMing me constantly on Instagram, trying to get me to like collaborate with him. So I blocked him. And now every couple of days he opens a new Instagram account and spams all of my posts. He goes on like every top comment of Sarah's Instagram post yeah. and just writes 666. And I'm like, do I really need to take this? That's not a great way to try <laughs> to get someone to collaborate with you. No, he's... Hey, do you want to collaborate? I'll annoy the fuck out of you until not, you say yes. He's not um, there. He's not all there. That's for sure. Right. Does it make it inexcusable? Mm. No, but it's that's. I sometimes wonder if I should just disable comments on all of my platforms. Yeah. Well, a point you made last night when we were talking about it is how is it not possible for Instagram to block the this user from using Instagram and opening 8,000 accounts? Right. Sometimes but, I just wonder what the lesson in this could be for me. Because mm-hmm. it doesn't, It it's just a nuisance. Mm. Yeah. I don't take anything he says to heart, mm-hmm. but it's just annoying. Like, he also does it to like all the other exist? vegan influencer people. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. It's it's fascinating. <laughs> so, all right. Want to wrap it up? Sure. We can revisit next week from a whole new perspective. Maybe. Or we could just move on. We could. We'll see how we feel. Yeah. It's up to us because it's our freaking show. Okay. Cool. All right, well, thanks for listening. As always, here's the spiel. You can find our music, Cute Threat, everywhere you get your music. You can find my music, Eric Ames, everywhere you get your music. Uh, Follow us on Instagram, unless Sarah deletes hers. She is the Sarah Sullivan. I am the Eric Ames. Uh, Rate and review the podcast on iTunes if you can. 
and support the podcast through Anchor if you feel so inclined. That would be super fantastic. How was that? Quick? Mm-hmm. Painless? Mm-hmm. Somewhat? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening.